Welcome to the It's In Here Somewhere podcast, what the Bible really says and why it matters to you. It was Ronald Reagan who said, within the covers of the Bible are the answers for all the problems men face. The Bible has the answers, but where? That's what we're here to discuss. This is It's In Here Somewhere. Okay, here we go. Hit record, see what happens. If you had been in the room with me today, watching me record, listen, delete, record, listen, delete, repeat the process, I don't know, 150 times or so, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that I have many times throughout this process, that I probably just have no business recording a podcast. Yet, here we are. And so I guess it begs the question, why a podcast? Well, for me, the answer is pretty simple. There's nothing in the world I enjoy talking about more than the Bible. New England Patriots, Tom Brady, Boston Red Sox, all come in a pretty close second, but I love to talk about the Bible. Oh, I guess I should add my wife to that list. I think she'd be pretty upset if I left her off. As we mentioned in the preview episode, one of the reasons for doing this podcast is the simple statement that we believe that the Bible has the answers for all the questions that we'll face. And while that statement may sound good, and we may claim to believe it on the surface, do we truly believe that the Bible has all the answers? Do we truly believe that a book written thousands of years ago, in a country we probably have never been to, written in a language that we probably don't speak, to a people and a culture that we've never been a part of, do we truly believe that that book has the answers that we need? Well, I would tell you that it does that it does have the answers that we need. In fact, the Bible has the answers that we need, despite being written so long ago in such a different time and place and culture. Because first of all, the Bible deals with issues that are practical. Practical issues like anger, depression, confusion, anxiety, relationships with our spouse, with our children, with those that we work with. These are the types of things that the Bible deals with. The Bible wasn't written for theologians and scholars. The Bible was written for the common everyday person in the common everyday situation. That is who God is speaking to. He's speaking to you and he's speaking to me. The question is, are we listening? And then we have those times that we do go to the scripture looking for the answer for our question. But what we are looking for is a chapter and a verse that detail the exact same question that I've been asking and the exact answer that I'm looking for. And we become frustrated because no such chapter and verse exist. The Bible doesn't use that specific word that we're looking for. And we become frustrated that the Bible maybe doesn't have the answers that we need. I believe that one of the greatest assets in finding those answers that we need is our ability to place ourselves in the hundreds of stories that the Bible tells us. Stories are absolutely incredible tools to teach us valuable truths and valuable principles. You see, we have an innate ability to place ourselves in a story, to become absorbed by it, to fully immerse ourselves into that plot, into that storyline. I'll give you a quick example. It's pretty difficult to sit down and listen to two hours of one person drone on and on. I mean, come on, we're only a couple minutes into this and you're probably already bored. But it's incredible how we can sit and listen to a story, to watch a movie, and be completely engrossed in that story. 
Yes, it's the special effects. Yes, it's all of the things, all the visual effects that we were able to see, but it's the story. The story draws us in and allows us to understand what it means to live life. We see ourselves in those characters. We picture ourselves as the hero of that story. We picture ourselves in that dangerous place that the character finds themselves. That's the power of a story. So let's take a story today from the scripture that has a practical application to all of our lives. And the question today is, how is a Christian supposed to deal with loss? How do we deal with difficulty? How do we deal when things just don't go our way? When it seems that everything's working against us? You see, all of us have experienced loss in our life. In fact, all of us have experienced loss in the last few months. Whether that's the loss of a job, the loss of a family member, the loss of an opportunity to be with friends and family, the loss of an opportunity to walk across a platform and receive a diploma. We've all experienced loss. And if we haven't personally, we know somebody who's gone through a difficult time. But how are we supposed to respond to that? We see the rates of depression, anxiety skyrocketing in the last few months. You see, we, we're not meant to be alone. We're not meant to be by ourselves. But how are we as a Christian supposed to respond to a situation like this? When things are uncertain, when we're not sure what's going to go on in the future, how do we respond to this type of loss and this type of difficulty, this type of tragedy in our lives? I think we all understand the first story that we would go to in the scripture, and that's the story of Job. Job, of course, is the picture of what it means to go through difficulty, trial, and tragedy as a Christian. Job was a wealthy man who lost absolutely everything. But let's take a moment and let's put ourselves in that story. And as we place ourselves in this story, as if we were Job, I think we'll see a few things a little bit differently than maybe we would have before. And that starts right off the bat. Job chapter 1, we get introduced to Job for the first time. If you're writing a book and you're introducing a character, you want to tell the reader a little bit about this person. What kind of a person are they? Maybe where did they grow up? What are some of their experiences that have led them up to this point? So we can really understand who they are as a person. Job doesn't really get that. We don't know anything about where Job grew up. We don't know anything about how he gained his wealth. In fact, the only thing we're told about Job is found in chapter 1, verse number 1. When the Bible says there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. That's it. Four characteristics. That's all we're told about this man, Job. And if we take just a moment to kind of break down these four characteristics, he's perfect, he's upright, he feared God, he eschewed evil. Very simply, we could state it this way. Job's relationship with God was right. But not just his relationship with God, his relationship with the people around him. Job was a very wealthy man. He had established many relationships in his life. His wife, his children, his family, those that worked for him, those in his community. And the Bible says that his relationship with God was right. But his relationship with people, those that God had placed in his life, that those relationships were right. And Job prepared himself ahead of time for this trial. Job didn't know what was going to happen to him. But his life was positioned in such a way where, yes, he would feel the incredible loss. And we'll get to that a little bit. But he was also prepared to deal with it. He was able to survive the storm 
Next, we see where this trial in Job's life originated. Of course, many of you know this story, but Satan comes to God and God asks him, where have you been? What have you been doing? And Satan responds, I've been walking to and fro in the earth. And God brings up the question, have you considered my servant Job? God is the one who initiates this entire trial that Job is about to go through. This is God's idea. But the story doesn't stop there. And I think it's so important that many times when we go through trials like this, we look at God and say, see, God was the one who brought this in my life. And we get angry and we get upset with what God has done to us. But we miss this, this next part of the story. Satan's response to God was this. He said, God, you know that I've considered him, but you have put a hedge of protection around him. You've put this wall, this barrier around Job, around his life, around his family, around everything that he has. And he said, unless you pull that down, you know that I can't get to him. And many times in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a difficulty, we look at God and say, God, why could you allow this to happen? In fact, God, why did you cause this to happen? You control everything that happens in my life. Why did you cause this to happen? Well, what we fail to realize is that the only reason we have not suffered this trial and things far worse than this over and over again throughout our life is that God has always been protecting us. If it weren't for God, we would be under constant attack. And the only reason we're not is because God is protecting us. And I understand that it's our reaction to lash out and to find someone to blame and someone to place the blame on. That's natural. But we as Christians have to keep in mind that the only reason that we are not constantly going through difficulty, constantly going through trial and suffering in the same form and fashion that Job was is because God has placed this hedge of protection around us. And instead of blaming God for what he allowed to come into our lives, we should be thanking God for the number of times that he prevented it. As we get to the end of chapter number one, we see the most famous statement that Job would ever make. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. What an amazing, inspiring statement that Job was able to make. He had just lost his entire family, all of his wealth, his position in the community. His life was changed forever. And this all in direct response to the fact that God had challenged Satan to go after Job and see if he would crumble. And Job makes the statement, the Lord gave the Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's statement at the end of chapter number one is an inspiration to anyone who's faced difficulty in their life. It's incredibly difficult to go through something like that. God, whatever you want in my life, that's what I'm going to allow you to accomplish. But many times that's where we stop in our teaching of the story of Job. And in our mind, we feel that that has been Job's attitude and Job's approach at every step and turn of his story. But that's just simply not true. I'm not saying Job went back on that statement, but Job experienced a whole lot more than being able to go through devastating loss, turn around, say, blessed be the name of the Lord as if everything's okay, because it just wasn't. In fact, the next chapter tells us that when people begin to find out about what's happened to Job, that there are three of his friends who come, and if you know anything about the story, you know that these friends are really no help to Job. But one thing they do for him, when they see him afar off, 
They don't recognize him. They know it's him, but it doesn't look like him. Job is sitting now on an ash heap, scraping sores off of himself, mourning the loss of his children, mourning the loss of his wealth. And they do the one good thing that they do throughout this book. They simply sit down on the ground, and for seven days, they just sit with Job. They don't say a word. They don't offer advice. They don't offer counsel. They just sit there. And I hope that we understand the value of that. Maybe we're the one that's going through the difficult time right now. Maybe it's somebody else in our life. And understand that sometimes people just need us to be there for them. They don't need advice. They don't need counsel. They don't need someone to help them through what they're doing. They just need you to be there. And these friends did that, at least for seven days for Job. At the end of the seven days, Job is the one who begins to speak. And if all you remember from the story of Job is chapter number one, his final statement, blessed be the name of the Lord. I think chapter three may surprise you very much when you hear the words that Job was able to speak. In verse three, after this opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. And Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night which, in which it was said, There is a man-child conceived. He goes on later in the chapter and says, Why died I not in the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Job is grieving. He's experiencing the emotion of loss. Understand that Job is not always, The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job at some times is, let the day perish wherein I was born. And if you go through chapter number three, you will see the depths of despair, of depression that Job finds himself in. Job is asking in chapter number three, he's asking God, why did you allow me to be born? Why did you allow me to be brought into this world? Job looks at what's going on in his life right now, and he says, things would be better off if I weren't here. If it weren't for me, this wouldn't have happened. And he looks at the world around him and says, it would be better off if I weren't here. And I hope that this is not true in your life. But part of what we're doing today is looking at the story of Job and identifying with where Job is in life. And if you've been in that place, if you felt that, that the world would be better off without you. You're in pretty good company. Job found himself there, but he got himself out. You will experience this deep, dark, grieving process. And that's okay. It's not where you want to stay. It's not where you want to find yourself continuously. It happened for Job. It can happen for you. And that's okay. Job goes on later and he says in verse 17, there the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary be at rest. There are prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor. The small and the great are there, and thy servant is free from his master. Job just wants it to be over. He doesn't know where to go on from here. In fact, that's what he says at the end of the chapter. He says in verse 23, Why is light given to a man whose way is hid, and whom God hath hedged in? He said, God, I, I don't know the way out. I don't know what happens from here. If you're in Job's position, you just lost your fortune, you just lost your family, you just lost everything in your life, what are you going to do now? You can't go out and go to work. You can't go home and take care of your family. You don't know where life goes from here. Job is felt as if he should have never been born. 
He's felt as if he's not sure where to go from here. We even see Job experience a loss of appetite. He doesn't want to eat. He doesn't want to see anybody. He has an incredible anxious feeling about the future. He says, I, he said, I don't know what's going to happen. He said, this came out of nowhere. I was not expecting this. I was not expecting this type of loss, this type of trial and struggle in my life. And I don't know if it's going to happen again. And that anxiety that fills Job's heart because he doesn't know, is it all over? That day that everything came upon me, the day I lost all of my wealth, the day I lost all of my family, I thought it was over. And God came back and he touched my body. And in that same day, my wife came. She told me to curse God and die. I thought it couldn't get any worse, but maybe it can. Unsure about the future, anxious about what's going to happen next. These are all things that Job experienced in chapter 3. And if there's anything that we look at today, I hope that we place ourselves in the story of Job. We want to be in chapter 1. The Lord gave, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's our goal and that's where we want to be. But in a very real sense, we may be in chapter 3. We may be in that deep, dark place that Job found himself. Where we really believe that the world might be a little bit better if we weren't there. That things would be better off without us. We may not want to go on. We may not know how to go on. We may be anxious about what's going to happen next. We didn't experience, we didn't expect this trial we don't know if this is the end or just the beginning. And that anxiety and that anxiousness consumes us. Maybe that's where we are. If you are, it's okay. It's not where you want to stay. It's not where you want to be. But trust that God has a plan. Trust that God knows what he's doing. God will not leave you in this place alone. He's there with you and he has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your trial and your struggle that you're going through right now. You simply have to be patient enough to understand what it is. Job was patient. Job learned from his trial and God did amazing things in his life. And he wants to do the same in yours if you'll allow it. I hope that we look at the story of Job, we see ourselves in it, and we can grow as a Christian. And today's question, how does a Christian deal with loss? How does a Christian deal with loss? Very simply, by dealing with it. Not by pretending like it didn't happen, or it's not a big deal, or that everything's okay. It's by coming to the grim reality that some things are difficult to deal with. Some things are going to lead us to a very dark place like Job experienced. But that's not where we're going to stay. It's not where God has for us. God has something great for us on the other side of this trial. We simply have to trust Him. We simply have to stay faithful to Him. I hope that we see ourselves in the story of Job. I hope we can see ourselves helping those around us that are going through difficulties and through trials. And we're simply there for them. And that we ask God to use us to be a blessing to somebody today.